section eleven of the mysteries of london volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox the mysteries of london volume three by george w m reynolds chapter eleven the two thousand pounds torrens cottage the evening was bright clear and frosty and the stars shone resplendently on the wide arch of heaven well wrapped up in their great coats the party of horsemen pursued their way and at about seven o'clock they turned from the main road near streatham common into a by-lane leading towards torrens cottage thus leaving streatham itself on their right hand sir christopher and the lawyer rode about a hundred yards in advance tom rain and frank curtis having stopped at a public-house to procure cigars jeffreys the groom was about fifty yards in the rear you must come and see us captain sparks after the honeymoon said curtis we shall be delighted to make you welcome i shall avail myself of your kind offer returned tom and you and me will try who can stand his bottle best continued the young man but what atrocious cigars these are i remember when i was in paris i was very intimate with a certain foreign prince who was staying there and i don't mind hinting to you that i was a great favourite with the princess too she was a charming woman a very charming woman i never saw such eyes in my life well the prince was a great smoker and he one day gave me a, a box of his prime cigars such cigars i never smoked such beauties before or since poor fellow he was killed in a duel shortly afterwards killed in a duel exclaimed tom what by you oh no i was his second replied curtis who as usual invented the story as he went on it seems that an officer of french horse-guards had been boasting of the favours which he pretended to have received from the marchioness and the marquis heard of it he instantly sent for me and desired me to carry the grenadier officer a message i did so and the hostile encounter took place in boulogne wood the hussar officer pinked the count slapped through in no time for it appeared that he was the best swordsman in all france well of course i was desperately savage to see my poor friend the duke knocked off the hooks in that unceremonious way and i determined to avenge him so i challenged the light infantry officer on the spot and we fought for six hours without either of us getting a scratch or yielding a foot of ground our swords were worn as thin as skewers i have no doubt of it said tom coolly it must have been a splendid sight it was indeed returned frank but at last i obtained a trifling advantage the artillery officer had a cold and i watched him anxiously to catch him off his guard when he sneezed egad that was a glorious idea of mine and it succeeded too for after nine hours hard fighting i ran him through just as a cook spits a joint you cannot imagine what a reputation that affair gave me in paris every one was desirous to see the young englishman who had killed the best swordsman in france and after all without boasting it was a feat to be proud of 
decidedly so observed time but you are too brave a man mr curtis to indulge in idle boasts of course cried frank fellows like you and me captain who know what swords and pistols mean are the last to brag of their exploits do you carry pistols with you mr curtis asked tom generally generally was the reply but i did not think it necessary to take them with me this evening well i did said rainford and here is one he added producing the weapon from the pocket of his white great coat pray don't hold it near me captain cried frank reining in his horse with a trepidation most remarkable on the part of a gentleman who had performed such gallant deeds in resisting highwaymen and as a duellist yes but i shall not only hold it near you said tom i shall also fire it unless you instantly and without noise hand me over that pocket-book which you have about you captain sparks ejaculated the trembling young man this passes a joke come now i never was more serious in my life interrupted rainford sharply give me the pocket-book or and the sharp click of the pistol as tom cocked it sounded like a death-warrant upon the cowardly boaster's ears in fact he sat paralyzed motionless speechless upon his horse at a loss how to act come be quick cried rain seizing him by the collar of his coat i have no time for any of your nonsense you-you can't mean stammered the young man that you yes i mean that i am a highwayman if you like to call me so interrupted tom impatiently and so give me the pocket-book curtis obeyed with trembling hand and sinking heart and now said tom as the sounds of the trampling of a horse announced that the groom was approaching one word of caution you are going to drag a young lady into a match most unwelcome to her beware how you accomplish her unhappiness by forcing her to accept as a husband such a contemptible boaster and arrant liar as you are beware i say or you will see more than you like of captain sparks having thus spoken rainford turned his horse round and galloped away with lightning speed john jeffreys whom he passed in the lane did not of course attempt to molest him but when the groom overtook frank curtis he said anything the matter sir i saw the captain gallop back again like an arrow captain ejaculated the young man he is a robber a thief a gallows-bird what do you mean sir asked jeffreys affecting profound astonishment he has plundered me of two thousand pounds john cried frank in so lamentable a tone that the groom could hardly suppress a violent indication to laugh robbed you sir exclaimed jeffreys you are joking sir no two men in england could rob you we had a desperate tussle for it john replied curtis but the villain knocked me off my horse with the butt-end of his pistol it was a cowardly blow and i was not prepared for it most likely not sir said the groom dryly but i thought he must have used some underhand means because i know what sort of a customer you must be 
you're right enough there my man returned curtis i had got the better of him at one time and although he has gone off with the two thousand pounds he has carried away with him such a drubbing that he won't forget in a hurry but let us ride after my uncle and mr howard because he might come back added frank casting a terrified glance behind him the young gentleman and the servant put spurs to their horses and in a quarter of an hour overtook the knight and the lawyer to whom frank related in his own style the adventure which had just occurred and you mean to say that you surrendered the pocket-book that you gave up two thousand pounds exclaimed sir christopher in a passion what could i do said frank the scoundrel took the money from me by main force he was stronger than the five highwaymen in france observed the lawyer quietly stronger i believe you cried curtis and then he was armed to the very teeth why when he threw open his green cutaway coat i could see by the starlight a belt stuck round with pistols daggers and sharp knives or else do you think for a moment that he could have mastered me well the mischief is done said the knight in a doleful tone and a pretty figure we shall cut at the torrenses i dare swear that the rascal is no more an acquaintance of the family than he is of the king of england it is to be hoped he is not observed mr howard who was mightily pleased to think that he had handed over the money into frank's keeping previously to setting out it is to be hoped not otherwise your nephew sir christopher would be marrying into a nice family really mr howard this is no time for jesting exclaimed the knight but why didn't you try and stop the villain john i sir said the groom how should i know that he had committed a robbery when he galloped past me besides if he is such a terrible chap as mr frank represents him it would have been useless for me to try my hand with him certainly john is quite right observed mr curtis if i could do nothing with him i'm sure no one else could he is as strong as a lion and egad how he did swear it was quite horrible to hear him but what shall we do do indeed ejaculated sir christopher we shall look like so many fools when we arrive at the cottage but mr torrens will take your cheque sir christopher remarked the lawyer true we can manage it in that way said the knight still the cash would have appeared more business-like on such an occasion but it is growing late let us push on yes let us push on echoed frank casting troubled glances around and trembling lest the highwayman should take it into his head to return and rob the remainder of the party in twenty minutes they reached torrens cottage the inmates of which we must pause to describe mr torrens was a widower and had numbered about five-and-fifty years he was a tall thin dry-looking man with a very sallow complexion a coal-grey eye and a stern expression of countenance after having long held a situation in a government office he retired with a pension and just at the same period a relation died leaving him a few thousand pounds with this sum he bought a beautiful little villa which he denominated torrens cottage and the leasehold of some land at norwood where he set busily to work to build a row of houses to be called torrens terrace 
he had long made architecture an amateur study during his leisure hours and the moment he was enabled to retire from his situation in the ordnance office and became possessed of capital he resolved to put his numerous architectural theories into practice but as it frequently happens in such matters he grew embarrassed and the works were menaced with stoppage for want of funds when mr curtis became enamoured of his eldest daughter whom he met at the house of some of mr torrens's relations in london the bargain already described was soon after struck between sir christopher blunt and mr torrens who did not hesitate to sacrifice his daughter's happiness to his own pecuniary interests unfortunately too for the young lady he did not regard the contemplated union in the light of a sacrifice at all inasmuch as he naturally looked upon frank curtis as sir christopher's heir not dreaming that the worthy knight entertained the remotest idea of perpetrating matrimony mr torrens therefore considered that his daughter adelais was about to form a most eligible connection and although he was aware that her affections were engaged in another quarter he acted upon the belief that parents must know best how to ensure their children's happiness his two daughters adelais and rosamond were both charming girls of the respective ages of eighteen and sixteen their dark clustering locks their deep hazel eyes lustrous with liquid light and their symmetrical figures filled all beholders with admiration adelais was now pale melancholy and drooping for she loathed the alliance that was in contemplation for her loathed it not only because her heart was another's but also because the manners conversation and personal appearance of frank curtis were revolting in her estimation rosamond possessed a rich complexion in which glowed all the innate feelings of her soul animating and imparting to every feature of her beautiful face an additional charm she was naturally the confidante of her sister whose hard fate she deeply deplored and many were the plans which the amiable girls had devised and discussed with a view to overcome their father's cruel pertinacity in insisting on the sacrifice of adelaide to frank curtis but each and all of those projects had either failed or involved proceedings repugnant to their pure and artless minds for instance they had thought of abandoning the paternal roof and endeavouring to seek their livelihood by needlework in some safe retirement then adelaide would not permit rosamond to dare the misfortunes of the world by flying from a home which she the younger sister had at least no personal motive to desert and rosamond on her side would not allow adelaide to set out alone again a clandestine marriage between adelaide and her lover was often debated the young man urged it himself but the daughters dreaded the father's eternal anger and thus this project had been abandoned also to be brief the dreaded moment was now at hand and the seal of misery was about to be set on the roll of the elder maiden's destinies 
and who was the lover of adelais a handsome generous-hearted honourable young man occupying a situation in the very government office where mr torrens had himself served for many years but although clarence villiers was so far provided for and had every prospect of rising rapidly on account of his steady habits and assiduous attention to his employment yet he was at present only a poor clerk with ninety pounds a year and he had no capital mr torrens as we have seen required capital and thus frank curtis was preferred to clarence villiers we cannot quit this description without alluding to the ardent affection which existed between the sisters having lost their mother in their childhood and their father being almost constantly from home throughout the day they were naturally thrown entirely upon each other for companionship an illimitable confidence sprang up between them a confidence more intimate far than even that which usually subsists between sisters because this confidence on the part of adelais and rosamond extended to a mutual outpouring of their most trivial as well as of their most important thoughts hopes or aspirations thus the reader will cease to be astonished that when adelais in the anguish of her heart had contemplated flight from the paternal roof as the only alternative save a hateful marriage rosamond insisted upon accompanying her much as they loved and revered their father they were both prepared to sacrifice even filial affection and filial duty for each other's sake this feeling may be looked upon as one involving a grievous fault on their side it was not however the less firmly rooted in their minds for they were all and all to each other End of section eleven